God's strategy is defined as the church. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see almost uh, three different levels here of intimacy. There's the fellow heirs, okay? There's the idea that we inherit something with Christ. We inherit the kingdom of God. So whether you are a Jew, Gentile, or any nationality, doesn't matter what age you are, we all are recipients of God's grace, the inheritance of being in his kingdom that comes through Jesus Christ. I would keep on reading. It says, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. So we're partakers, or members rather, members of the same body. That's the second one. And so we see the intimacy increases as we look at one another. Members of the same body. That means when you meet a believer, whether you've known them before, you go to another country, you have something in common with them. You share something with them. I belong, I belong to the body. So that means my gifts, my abilities, my time, my resources ultimately belongs to Jesus Christ and his church. It's interesting, we, we see things like with pastors and their giftings. Do you know my teaching ability, whatever God has given me in that way, belongs to you. I am to be a servant of this church. In the same way your gifts, your abilities, belong to a body that's working out God's kingdom in this day and age. And so we belong to one another uh, and then partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so we are sharing together of what Jesus Christ has done. So that puts us on equal footing. We're saved by grace, working through God's promises. Now, verse 7, we're going to see that God's strategy is to be proclaimed for the church. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone was the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So we are to bring to light for something. How does that happen? Well, there is the declaration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. To say, let me share with you how we have forgiveness, how we have grace, how we can belong to God. There is that proclamation that is extremely critical. So what that means is that we can't just do good works, but the good works also have to be accompanied with a message, a declaration that God loves us and we can enter his family through Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. This, um, this past week I've had two run-ins with the mayor. Not in a bad way. Uh, literally. We just, okay. We, we met. We talked. Um, and one... He came by the office, and uh, they and East Wake television crew came by, and they wanted to film um, Pamela Hooks and, and the Mills on Wheels and, and spotlight the Mills on Wheels ministry, the work that's being done, which, of course, you know, we have working through the offices here. Uh, and so uh, they just wanted to spotlight that. that. And, then, and then the mayor does what mayor, mayors do, just extremely congratulating 
and flattering, you know, just, I saw him at the, at the Rex Wellness, and he was like, oh, you're one of my favorite pastors, and I was like, okay, man, you know, you're, you're already mayor, you don't have to, you know, keep on campaigning, you know, uh, but it, it just, it has this, this good reputation, right, that we want to be doing, and, and in the mills and wills, we want to be declaring that, that there is every segment of our society matters, loved by God, and cared for in some way. And so the Mills on Wheels is one way that we can be a part of that in a community and spot like that. But if it's not accompanied with, we do this because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, that no matter how you are, whether you're capable, you're running, you're driving, get around, or you're not able to get out, whether you're 20 or you're 90 or 80, God loves every single one of us, and you matter before God. And Jesus Christ died for each one of us to know him as Lord and Savior. That message has to go out that the mills and wills is done because of the gospel. It is a sign of the gospel, but it is to be accompanied with the gospel. So it's not just that we can get a little spotlight from the mayor and say, good job. You're a good members of a community. But to say, Jesus is good. And let me show you how good he is. That he wants us who are not good, to be a part of his good family. This is part of what it means that we go and we proclaim. God's strategy is to be proclaimed for the church. And so this is something Paul took very seriously to say, this is what my life is about, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages God who created all things? Now, let me, um, let me get to the, the last two, because the last two are the ones I'm really personally excited about. God's strategy is to be trumpeted through the church. God's strategy is to be trumpeted through the church. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, read this amazing passage, verse 10. This this plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to who? To rulers and authorities. Not just rulers and authorities. Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who's that? Who are the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? In chapter 6, he kind of speaks to this. uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers. He's talking about the spiritual realm. He's talking about angels and demons. So let's get this again. So this mystery, this church, this plan that's been hidden for ages is God. This God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the angels and demons. You see, what we do as a church, who we are as a church, isn't just about Nightdale. Isn't just about Raleigh. Isn't just about America. This is about a spiritual realm who is watching. All right. So this plan, bringing all people together. The, the plan here, the word, verse 10, the manifold 
wisdom of God. Multifaceted wisdom of God. That's the word manifold. Multifaceted wisdom of God. Or another way of saying it is brilliant. All right? This brilliant wisdom of God, multifaceted, this shining thing with all kinds of components, this wisdom of God that has levels upon levels and layers upon layers of wisdom as we see his plan at work, this brilliant wisdom of God is to be made known to angels and to demons. God is trying to demonstrate to a spiritual world the brilliance of who he is, the brilliance of his plan. How, now this is what blows my mind, how does God show his brilliance? Is it by building galaxies and universes? Is it by putting these massive planets together, these suns that just are, you know, massive compared to the earth? Is that how he does show his brilliance? Or is maybe his brilliance is shown in the munitia, the, the microscopic levels of organism. That's not how God has shown and chooses to show his brilliant wisdom to a spiritual world. What does he choose? I mean, if it didn't say it, I wouldn't believe it. But what does it say? Verse 10. What method does God choose to reveal his brilliant wisdom? The church. <laughs> the church. He's, and he's writing to a local body. Ephesus, it's church of Ephesus. Do you realize who you are? You see, here's the thing, guys. I, you think your presence today, 82% in, the, in some of the polls, 82% of, of believers say you don't have to be a good Christian to be a part of a church. Uh, to be, uh, you don't have to be a part of a church to be a good Christian. And we understand, we hear that, I mean, that's, we get that we don't have to be a church to be a believer. God's salvation comes to us by grace through faith. But listen, I read this, and it tells me that if God's going to do work, He's chosen to do work, and He's chosen to show His brilliance through the church, through a community of people. And so when we meet together, whatever travails you went through just to be here, I want you to understand something. Angels are watching this moment. And demons are watching this moment. Week after week after week, church after church after church, they're looking and they're watching and they're seeing and they're wondering, can it possibly be that a people of all types of backgrounds, of all types of ethnicities, of all types of cultures, could it be that they can actually come together and worship of Jesus Christ and to work against the spiritual forces that Satan's been trying to do to tear people apart? Don't you understand that the world and how we are moving is constantly falling apart? This age is nothing but things falling apart. People falling apart from one another. Our bodies, right, falling apart. That is human life as we know it. The church comes in, the gospel comes in, 
Caleb tells this thing called redemption and restoration where God is restoring and bringing people back together. So every miracle that Jesus does is telling us this is what life will be. Dead, dead people will come back to, to live again. Sicknesses will be cured. Uh, people will have their sight uh, restored. But not only that, there will be people who don't normally get along because of their selfness and, and their hard-heartedness that will be brought together and they will love one another and they will worship one another. And when, when angels see that, they rejoice. In fact, Jesus says that there's rejoicing in the presence of angels when one sinner repents. Why? Because restoration is starting to happen. Rebuilding is starting to happen. And it happens in relationships. So listen, just by you singing next to someone that you would not normally sing with, you worshiping with someone that you would not normally worship with is a praise and glory to God. It is something to be trumpeted what God's grace has done. When we have people of different Ages come together. I'm going to tell you, it's hard. It's hard to have people of all different ages together because people of all different ages do things differently and they think differently and they sing differently. But listen, it is worth the work, it's worth the effort because it's not just about what we like, but it's about what God wants. And a church that is mixed of all different types is trumpeting God's strategy and Satan hates it and angels rejoice when people come together for Jesus Christ. So let me just bring out this little observation. No wonder it's so hard sometimes just to get here and be here. Because it is spiritual you know something so spiritual could be so physical it's just son get your shoes on you know but it is and just us being in the presence of one another for the purpose of praising jesus christ out of god's grace is part of god's strategy to show satan who has always been working against a people in harmony under the name of Christ. There's been some people talking about how we should remove the forces of faith out of public policy and let secularization reign. But some of the people, it was in an article not too long ago, are starting to see the tragedy of what was the civil rights movement in the 1960s peppered and seasoned with the Christian grace versus some of the Black Lives Matter movement of the last few years. And realizing grace has a role. Faith has a role. It can bring together a harmony and unity that no forces of secularization can do. Because secularization at its best can just be external. Grace comes in, faith comes in, moves us in the heart inside out. God's strategy is to be trumpeted through the church. So when we sing, I appreciate us singing about what God has done. You know, Lord willing, uh, tomorrow night, <laughs> there may be a parade in Chapel Hill. There's a trumpeting of something that, okay, something good happened. 
But listen, it's just a game. What we've got is God's grace restoring people together. Restoring hearts back to the Father. And that, that is worth celebrating. Light the bonfires with that. We keep on reading. Verse 11, 12 and 13. This strategy is to be trumpeted through the church. This manifold wisdom of God is made known because of the church, through the church. This was according to the eternal purpose. And this has always been God's plan. It's his eternal. He didn't, this isn't plan C or B, all right? This is God's plan to make this happen. That it was realized, the purpose was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that's why Christ is our sure foundation. It can only be realized when Jesus Christ is the center and all of who we are as a church. That is critical. If that becomes deviated or added to in any way, then the foundation has been eroded in our church and in our society. It's been realized. It can only be realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Well, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says that in Christ all things are under his feet and given his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This church is about Jesus Christ filling us all of who he is and seeing of all he is. Think about that. We have to grow in a community. We have to grow in a community. Think about how you are who you are. Not just spiritually, but how you are who you are. You think, well, you just made your own decisions. Yes and no. You made your own decisions, but you made your own decisions in the context of a family. Of people influencing you. One way or the other. Whether you made decisions against them or with them, the thing is, it was still in relationship of them. And so who you are has more to do with your family, where you came from, than most anything that you might realize. It's the same way spiritually. We need a family, a community, where we show Christ to one another, live Christ with one another. This was his paternal purpose that he realized that Christ is the Lord, in whom we have boldness. I think verse 12 is kind of the heart of the matter for Paul. This is what keeps him floating. This is what helps him through the days in prison. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. That seems to be Paul's treasure. Christ because it's in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him because of Christ he is loved and we are loved by God more than we could ever dare to imagine that we can be confident in being talking to God and being bold and talking to God and saying I'm okay with you God not because of who I am but because of Christ this was his treasure and if he lost his freedom he's okay he was good but if he lost Christ then everything's ruined this was his treasure. Let this be your treasure as well. Verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So I would just point out to you that God's strategy is worth personally suffering for the church. God's strategy is worth personally suffering for the church. Paul's realizing that he, as he wrote this, about write this prayer, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. Oh, you may not know fully why I'm a prisoner. And you may be ashamed, you may be discouraged because 
I'm in prison. This one that has been your minister for two or three years, that, that may be discouraged. Let me tell you why this should not discourage you. You ever been discouraged by the stories of coming out of Syria and those regions of ISIS, of believers being horribly killed? And then those who are not killed fled, fleeing their homes. Don't be discouraged by that. Because they're doing this out of their love and stand for Christ and the church. The reason anyone ever knew about them in Syria is because they were members of a church worshiping together. And they endured. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Interesting. Paul doesn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome. A prisoner of the Jews. Those were all instrumental in his imprisonment. But he sees God as over all these things. He's a prisoner of Christ. The circumstances of your life, you need to understand. Stop seeing everyone doing something to you. Don't have this victim mentality of everyone's out to get you. But see yourself under the charge of God. And that God has allowed certain circumstances for you to learn and love and get more of Christ in. So even if you're in prison, you can say, I'm a prisoner of Christ. You're in church. You have to put up with some people. Put up with things in church. Just say, you know, God's over that too. This is just part of what it means to be in a church. Sometimes I have to endure. Sometimes I have to deal with things. I have to deal with people. But I'm not dealing with people. I I see this as being under God's leadership. As of yet, I hadn't seen anyone put in prison in our church. Right? Paul was put in prison. So he he gets the uh, severity award on this. Anything short of that, (laughs) we're probably okay. How many preferences did Paul lose for the purpose of the church? Let's pray together. Regardless of who we are in a church, that every single one of us would be praying this one prayer. God, I want to do what pleases you the most. We make that our prayer, every single one of us. God, I just want to do what pleases you the most. And listen to see how God speaks and directs. I want to bring to your attention a church um, that is realizing things that we have known all our life. You know, we're familiar with people coming together worshiping God of all different types. This is uh, from the book, Insanity of God. And the author was in the rural parts of China. Very uh, remote. And the communication was uh, very limited. So there was a group of, of house churches, of, of leaders coming together. Um, and just makes this interesting statement. 
The rural house church movement was so sheltered, so isolated, some of the leaders asked me whether or not word of Jesus had gotten beyond China yet. This is done not long, all that long ago. They wondered if people in other countries knew and worshipped him. There's a little more to the exchange I didn't share earlier. I informed the Chinese believers that they had hundreds of millions of fellow believers around the world. I told them that they were believers in almost every country on earth. When they heard that, they broke into applause and they shouted in praise. Then they asked about my country. I told them that in the United States there were tens of millions of committed Christians who gathered and worshipped in tens of thousands of congregations, large and small, in every city, town, village across the land. Hearing that, these house church leaders actually cheered and wept with joy in celebration of the grace of God that God had bestowed on their American brothers and sisters. Then they excitedly peppered me with other questions. How did people learn about Jesus in my country? Did we have Bibles in America? What was worship like? Where did the pastors get their training? The questions seemed to be endless. I attempted to describe for them the practice of Christianity and the culture of my homeland. They marveled at what I was telling them for a while. Then the celebrated mood slowly, subtly started to shift. I noticed first one person who was very quiet and then began to cry. These were not joyful tears. He seemed sad and even anguished. Then others reacted in the same way. I feared that I said something wrong that was culturally offensive. I asked what was wrong. A visibly distressed Chinese pastor explained, we're just wondering, why is it that God loves you believers in America so much that he blesses you more than he does us? Why would God do so many amazing things for you? I was stunned, distraught, and horrified at the question. I immediately reminded my new friends of the many miraculous stories that Chinese believers had shared with me of God's grace in their lives. They had told me about his loving provision of strength and courage in prison. They had talked about his repeated protection from authorities. They had shared many inspiring stories of answered prayers. There was also the supernatural way that God led them through dreams and visions. I cited the historically unprecedented explosion of faith through the house church movement that had brought at least 100 million Chinese to Christ despite 50 years of oppression under communism. I reminded them too of the incredible stories of healing that I heard from them. I told them how much I wished that I was able to see someone raised from the dead like they had seen. I insisted to my new Chinese friends that all these things were undeniable and miraculous proof of God's presence and power. I said that these things were incontrovertible evidence of his amazing grace and his abundance of love for China and his people. My friends heard my words and my explanation and then they became my teachers. This is what they said. You see how we are meeting with you here in secret, Dr. Ripken? We've told you how our house churches move from farm to farm, house to house, often at night. You, you tell us that pastors can preach the gospel publicly in your country and that believers in America are free to worship wherever and whenever they want. If you watched our leaders rip apart a Bible and divide up the pages so that every house church pastor can take home at least a portion of scripture to share with his people. Yet you tell us that you personally have seen seven different versions of the Bible on a shelf in your office. You also own many Christian books and regularly read Christian magazines and newspapers. None of us have ever owned our own hymn book or chorus book to sing from. Yet you tell us that your churches have hymn books for everyone, that you can purchase them in bookstores, order them by the case from publishers, and you tell us that the Christian music is on many radio and television stations. You have described how everyone in your country, even those who are not believers, celebrates the birth of Jesus with a national holiday. And you tell us that some churches actually reenact the nativity scene to attract and entertain the public. We have explained how so many of our leaders have been arrested, that prisons have become the place where our pastors gain their most important theological education, you tell us that in America, you have special training schools just for Christian students. Yes, you have heard us tell about praying for sick people and how many of them have been miraculously healed. 
Yet maybe only one in a thousand of those who are healed will give any credit to God or will ever find Jesus as a result. However, you tell us that believers in your country can actually choose to go to Christian doctors and even Christian hospitals if they wish. So tell us, Dr. Ripken, which of these things do you think are the greatest miracle? I bring this to your attention just so you can see, hopefully beyond the faces and people and personalities, the church is an absolute miracle of God. And the form that we see here, what we celebrate right now, unheard of in other places around this world. Thank God. Let's thank God for the miracle. And more importantly, let's be the miracle. Let's be a church. People, all different. Strange, some of us. But we're together because of Jesus Christ. That's what Satan and angels and demons are watching to see. Let's pray.